whatever you want to call it, media, marketing, communications, branded content. I've been working in this industry for about 22, 23 years, something like that. So quite a long time. And I'd never met this week's guest until we sat down in a recording studio and had a conversation. But we've got some people in common. She's worked at The Guardian. She's worked at Unruly Media. She's worked at Centaur Publishing. She's worked at EMAP Magazines back in the day. But now, she's almost taken on something of a higher purpose. Ali Owen, this week's guest, runs an organisation called the Brixton Finishing School. And over the summer, last summer, they took 30 different candidates from BAME, underprivileged audiences, vulnerable audiences, and they put them through their course of meeting a number of different media and marketing sponsors. And do you know what? She's placed all bar two of them in a job, in a really good job, a job that those candidates want to do. Ali Owen set up the Brixton Finishing School to, quote, her, as you'll hear in a minute, solve the world's problems. Have a listen. The cause that she represents is brilliant. The way she articulates her argument is exceptional. And she's really good fun to boot. Be sure to share this podcast. Give us a five-star review. But in the meantime, get to know better Ali Owen as we ask her a bit about her. We ask her about her role and organisation at the Brixton Finishing School. And then we ask Ali Owen for her rocket fuel. So the first thing to say is, Ali Owen, thank you so much for doing this. No, thank you for having me. No worries. So, Ali, the first section of our chat is going to be all about you. And the first thing (laughs) I want to talk about is your journey. So I know where you are now at the Brixton Finishing School. Tell us about how you got there. Give us a potted history. I've got a slightly unusual route into media and the creative industries. Um, I was an Egyptologist at university. Okay. But I was the first person in my family to kind of do education past 16. So my experience of uni meant I didn't really understand a lot of the rules. Okay. So, for example, when we got through to like third year and people started talking about a milk round and choosing jobs I actually thought that involved a milkman so I didn't turn up (laughs) so I ended up the one thing I could do was type so I ended up temping moved to London with like five pounds and slept on my mate's floor and temped and one day my temping office because I could type quite fast sent me to a publisher's which is actually Centaur Media okay yeah I remember Um, and I ended up being I asked the publisher how do I become a publisher and he said you've got to be my PA and I fell for that hook, line and sinker, because that's obviously bollocks, mm. um, and was his PA. And then about three months into being his PA, I was doing the salaries one day and I thought, that table earns more than me. And that rankled me that somebody was earning more than me, because I was obviously yeah. into the uh, realm of money. And I asked what the table was and it was advertising sales. Right. So I kind of put together a constructive and rather assertive case for arriving on that table. And the next week, they put me on it. Oh, and wow. that was the kind of meteoric start of my career. And what were the publications at Centaur you were selling at well, that time? Give my, us some glamour. Oh, some glamour. So I started on the glamorous and enthralling Precision Marketing, which okay. was um, the classified section I sold, 
to direct marketeers. That's actually quite a hard sell. Yeah. People who actually know what they're talking about. Then I moved on to the kind of like um, champion brand, which was Creative Review. I remember Creative Review. Yeah, which, which is, is still exists. It's still going. Still, still going. Um, and then I uh, turned out, was, I was really good at persuading people to uh, put adverts and things. So I jumped ship to the Daily Mirror, which was a massive step up. And I ended up in, when they first built Canary Wharf, literally ended up in a very odd environment. It was like 60 men on a trading floor and there was about five girls, mm. most of which were secretaries, and little old me. Um, and I tend, and I think it was the music rep for the Mirror. And it was definitely a lesson in um, what it's like to be a female in an environment that's probably not built for you. <laughs> so I worked at OMD in yeah. the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And... Even then, when I regale my friends with stories Horrendous of stories. media and advertising was the last industry to catch up with the rest of the world. Do you think that's fair to say or one of the last, I, perhaps? Well, I think it was if you couldn't make it in the city, mm. you, you went into media. So the, <laughs> the kind of elite um, behaviours around the city, which tends to be quite blokey, quite public school, um, you know, lots of dolly birds in inverted columns were still the same in media and yep. I certainly experienced a lot of um, open sexism and abuse mm. um, until I kind of I was very young you know I was only 23 24 mm. and I'd come from a background that was you know not well I didn't know how this world worked yep. I certainly didn't really know what but one thing I kind of caught on quite quickly was if you don't stand up for yourself you're an easy target so that was what I started doing. And I also decided to move into an environment that was more suited. So I moved into women's glossies. Okay. Which meant at least my gender wasn't going to get in the way. Yep. Sure. My class did, but my gender <laughs> didn't. Um, and very interesting, I moved to EMAP and it was kind of, and I'm, I'm sure, the posher you were, the posher the, t- the title you worked on. Yeah. And the less posh you were. Um, the more vibrant the title you worked on. So I ended up on Minx magazine, which probably gives you an indication of um, how posh EMAP viewed me as. Who's, who was Minx aimed at? I Minx, don't know Minx. right. I got the job because I couldn't put fake tan on properly and they said I looked like the target market. Um, uh, basically, Minx was aimed at 18 to 24-year-old women who were kind of uh, cool early adopters. So what a young hipsterette would be now. Okay. So, But it was kind of slightly premium. and That was kind of... The team was amazing. It was an all-female team, not that I've worked in great mixed teams, mm. but did that, and that kind of really cemented... I won um, Newcomer of the Year for the whole of the company, and that wow. was kind of when I realised I could actually make a career out of this, and I started having much bigger dreams. So very quickly, I kind of accelerated my career and ended up moving to John Brown, where I launched Waitrose's content, their magazine, as yeah. an ad manager. I was still very young. And I did a stint at a publishers in um, Australia for a couple of years. Because okay. bizarrely, um, selling advertising and content is on the skills shortage list for a number of countries. I don't know why. All we're doing is persuading people to, to buy stuff they don't want. I wonder if it making still them feel is. Co- I, it's probably hairdressers or midwives or something like that. Sure. Or <laughs> mid-husbands or whatever we're calling them. But um, basically, yeah, so it was good. And then I ended up going to The Guardian as a strategist. Yeah. Um, and then I had stints. I went back and ran John Brown as commercial director, which was obviously a big role, big complex team. Did loads and loads of digital when digital first started. Then went was at Yahoo, head of international forum, really ended up at the Mail Online, mm. which is where kind of where the story of the school starts. So go on, because right now you've given up day to day media. You're not. You're still. 
selling in the broadest term. And yeah, I, I don't... I'm selling to the same people, but Absolutely. different dreams. But different dreams. <laughs> so I was going to ask you this a bit in the next section, but is this a higher purpose? Is this achieving a oh. dream? What, what was, when, when did the moment happen where you thought yeah. there's more to life? Well, I was, I kind of, lot, I was winning lots, of, I was winning awards, I was making money, mm. but I'm actually, so we're sat in Islington now, and I actually live on a council estate up the road, mm. and I'm a single parent, and I was becoming more and more cognizant that the opportunities I'd had weren't in existence anymore, and also I was just becoming slightly tired of making money for organisations that actually were prejudiced against certain types of people, including people from un- you know, not by prejudice, I mean, you could tell whether you were being glass ceilinged or not. And I think that's quite common. If you're a woman, if you're a woman of colour, that's, you know, there's lots of intersections here yeah. that get, that don't, their talent is not valued in the way it should be. Um, so I was cognizant of that. And I was also cognizant of the fact that I wanted, if I was raising money for a title, I wanted that title to be bigging up a better purpose rather than... Um, putting down groups of people I felt commonality with. Okay. Yeah. Um, Let's get to know you a bit better in terms of your work style. How are you as a manager and how do you like to be managed? I must admit, I used all the lessons I had from crap managers. Um, I'm definitely open, consultative and not a micromanager. Okay. I tend to be a big ideas and picture person, but I'm good at associating myself with leads that are very detail orientated right so my dream combo is me and somebody who's really loves process and detail okay so it's like two sides of our brain yeah (laughs) represented um i love coaching people bringing out the best in them and i don't i I certainly feel that i'm a team player in the sense that it's not it takes a team to have a success how many on the team where you are now We've got, there's me, Annie, mm, there's probably like actual paid staff. There's probably about four. And is there a commonality of behaviour trait in the sort of people you like to recruit? Is there one behaviour that you have to have or do you like a combination? There's six behaviours we look for. Oh, go on. Yeah, but that's only in neurotypical people. Yeah. Um, obviously, neurodiverse people I value for different behaviours. Okay. So I don't. I'm not particularly interested in somebody's qualifications. We live. We work in a vocation. We don't work in. We're not doctors. You know what I mean? So I basically judge people on their ability to listen, to do teamwork, to actually communicate, to have some creativity, it's positive input, um, and be supportive to the people around you. I think not being a t- is the number one rule in my office. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and. Whether it be in this industry or whether it be in your current team, yeah. what do you think you're known for? Definitely creating stuff out of nothing. I think with Brixton, what we what I'm good at is corralling sentiment into action. You know, there's we're very you know, I was lucky to have a concept that people got on board with quickly when I explained it. And that's kind of mushroomed into what we kind of call a change making movement now quite quickly. We're only Literally, we're just over two years old and we've already won Britain's Best Digital Skills and Inclusion Initiative. And we're rewriting how a very elitist industry is actually judging and valuing talent um, in a way that I think will make it a better industry overall. Final question in this section. Are you any good at switching off? I am brilliant at switching off. Are in you? fact, I 
do a, for me I've got I do a lot of physical activity okay so I tend after this I'm actually just about to go and hit something for about an hour which okay. I'm really looking forward to something as opposed to someone I well ironically I'm thinking of entering the media boxing match in November in New York Hall because I can I'm all right at boxing but I want to be a lot better yeah so that would be a nice target yeah <laughs> So I'm still here with Ali Owen and this is the section of our conversation where we talk about her work and I want to talk about the Brixton Finishing School because that's the bulk of your time now, all yeah. your time. Initially when I set the school up, I set up an agency called Hoxton United yeah. which was a purpose-driven digital agency to fund me. That agency is still doing really well but I'm lucky enough to have other people now sort of working as specialists in that agency and I've been able to do much, well, 80 to 90% of Brixton as right. my time. Yeah. And what is the job that Brixton is doing? Oh, the job is finding raw talent, transforming it into brilliant entry-level kind of employees that will basically deliver competitive advantage to the creative tech and media industries. And that's it. So basically changing the world. So, <laughs> nice. Genuinely. And these are kids age oh they don't like you calling them kids so go they're on. 18 to 25 year olds you can't call an 18 to 25 year old a kid they'll kick off and they have left <laughs> they have left full-time education and they have come to you for a how long is the course the course is 10 weeks and what we do is if you're BAME white working class uh, neurodiverse or female or a combination of all those things because those groups are really so chronically underrepresented within our industry it's yep. laughable um we'll basically take put you through an assessment process and potentially put you on the 10-week course which is taught by the best in the industry um and actually has a pot of guaranteed jobs just for our graduates at the end and the course is structured around a number of different weeks and kind yeah. of visits with a number of different big media marketing yeah. tech players in the world that everybody will have heard of, right? Yeah. So bring some of those names to life. So, right? for example, at the creative end, Adam and Eve, who are creative agency of the decade, yeah. RGA, digital agency of the decade, Mail Metro, News UK, Clear Channel, Kinetic, Pretty Green, I can't forget the now, Omnicon Health Group. Basically, I'm going to forget some of my sources sure. here. McCann, VCCP, Fine. there's a massive Rubicon, big board. If you think about our industry, it's like a rainbow. At one end, you've got your art directors and your copywriters. In the middle of the rainbow, you've got your generalists, which is probably where me and you both fall into, mm. which is account people, strategists, just general chatters. And at the left, you've got your more specialists when it comes to tech. We kind of deal majority in the generalists, but we can then... Use basically take those young people. We've got a relationship with the School of Communication and Arts. So if you're wanting to be an art director or something like that, you can win a scholarship to them. Right. Or if you want to go more heavy into that kind of coding, digital technology side, we can open up pathways to you there. And the goal is that the 18 to 25 year olds go through this. A, it helps them better refine what they want to do and the yeah. sorts of places they want to work. And B, it, it gets helps, them a job. It gets them a job. Yeah. I mean, eco access to economic opportunity is, according to the Mayor of London, the biggest game-changing thing we need to do. And particular segments of our city in London, I obviously know this is a national broadcast, 
are so poorly served. Yeah. I mean, I meet brilliant young people. We don't look at qualifications when people come to us. We look at attitude. But when I actually do find out their qualifications and I find out where they're working and how undervalued they're being, I'm just stunned. We've literally got talent around us all the time. We constantly keep picking a certain type of person to do jobs. And you think about our industry, our industry is designed to sell everything to everybody. So if we were being clever and optimising it, we would choose people that reflect the stakeholders and on consumers. So let's let's jump into that because this sounds like a stupid question, but why is diversity so important? If imagine, imagine, well, let not imagine, imagine we're marketing directors trying to come up with an idea to sell stuff to people who don't want to buy it because they don't need it. You'll have to come up with a really engaging message. If you are all the same type of person, same, for example, if you're a group of, say, white males and you're coming up with an idea for a creative execution for a sanitary brand for a female. Now, unbelievably, 84% of creative directors fall into that category. Mm-hmm. 65% of consumers are women, yeah? Mm-hmm buy everything. What you've got is people that aren't in that target market and don't understand that consumer's lived experience, trying to create a concept that enthralls them. Secondly, if you have groupthink, which happens a lot when you get people who agree with each other because they're so alike, what you get is the easiest decision rather than the decision that's going to have the best business outcome. People like McKinsey, Credit Suisse, there's been a host, a raft of data and you know global research on this. Thirdly, basically, we live in a wonderfully global city. Mm. 50% of our residents and citizens are from, and I hate labels, a BME background. Yeah? yeah. Why the bloody hell are they not in our businesses? Secondly, by not putting them in our businesses, if, if our businesses don't reflect the makeup of the city around us, that means we've chosen people because they're like us as employers rather than the best person for the job. So, funnily enough, you jumped on, this isn't my next question, but it's a question I was going to ask, and it's a really good yeah. point. So, okay, here, I'm going to try and speak now in a way that doesn't make me sound like an absolute <laughs> moron. Please so try. <laughs> if, as a small business owner, yeah. I receive a cover letter with a spelling mistake in it, Yep. There is still a temptation deep inside me to reject that letter at that point and reject that candidate. Yeah. Whereas actually, I think what the Brixton Finishing School is going some way towards is proving that talent isn't about a well-written cover Hold letter. on a second. Why would somebody from my school have a spelling mistake? Why would somebody not from Eton somebody... not have a spelling mistake? Oh, I'm saying the presumption... both. No, but oh. basically, if you can't spell on your CV, then you need to get better at checking your CV. That's nothing to do with class or race or background. It's to do with somebody not proofreading your CV. Because you're making the assumption there that somebody... From a different, if we're, if we're talking about diversity, the inference I'm hearing, and I'm sorry if you're wrong, if this is wrong, is that somebody from a lower socioeconomic class or somebody from a different ethnic background would be more likely to have a spelling mistake. Not necessarily more likely. Yeah. What I'm just saying is that I should get over that. I, I you don't... could say to them, you could give them constructive feedback and say, I love your experience. By the way, have you ever proofread your CV? Yeah. Because if you want a job here, proofreading would be really important. Yeah. And How about you be. go back through it, pick up the mistake, because I've seen it, prove that you've seen it, 
and then let's have a chat. So, in full disclosure for the purposes of the listeners, the reason how we yeah. got to know each other was one of the candidates yeah. that went on to the Brixton Finishing School was interning at a business yeah. rocket that, that I run. And she could not speak more highly of the experience. Oh, yeah. She has ended up in a great job. At your old employer. At my old, old <laughs> employer, funnily enough. So the world is cyclical. I'm not going to say where because yeah. people will take it down. But she's she's an awesome candidate. Yeah. From a candidate level, yeah. what other feedback do you get about the Brixton Finishing School? Because they've spent 10 long weeks, and they've, they've gone through a rigorous selection process to even get to the 10 weeks, which acts as kind of a probation period. Yeah. That's where your average graduate, which we'd normally take, would arrive green as hell into an office, despite their background. We've had 10 weeks of those mixing with the best in the business, um, doing lots of professional skills and that lot. So they tend to be much better equipped and resilient and more realistic about the roles they're going into. Um, the feedback we get, it's, yeah, it's been really, oh, to be honest, 100% positive. We've had a, a couple of learning instances in the first year. This year, it's been just brilliant. How many are in the cohort? This year was 30. Last year was 20. Yeah. And first question, what's the metric for success? Is it a, is it a, a data tick? So the percentage that end up in a full-time job? Yeah. Is it more complicated than that? What does success It's like? whatever they want their success to be. I mean, if they're looking for work, I will do everything in my power. They never really leave us. We're all in a WhatsApp group. I'm for the three people from that 30 who haven't got the outcome they want yet because of Brexit and various other things. I'm trying to still, you know, they're lining up interviews and stuff. So we ne they never really leave us. Um, but everybody may want different things. You know, people may want to, you know, some of my a candidate from 2018 did really well on the course and decided she wanted to set up her own snowboarding design company. Yeah. So you've, you know, just be, I think it's, it's kind of retrofitting rather yeah. than us saying this is what success looks like. Ask a young person, what 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 do you want out of this? Because it's actually going to be their life, not mine. They'll want economic access. They'll want economic success in some way because otherwise you're buggered, aren't you? Yeah. And what's the ambition? Do you, you want 40 in next year's cohort? No, you want a global thousand... domination okay. and the end to diversity issues. <laughs> I want to retire knowing that everybody gets a fair break and talent is recognised as talent. And all the um, kind of toxic behaviours that we currently have that prevent us from being a much more brilliant business destination and also more successful are taken away. I mean, basically, we're going to do lots more schools. We're going to do lots of side, like franchise the brand to different groups. You know, it's not just young people that have a crap time. We think about veterans, single mums, carers, care leavers. You've got all these subgroups that have particular challenges that actually the realm of digital and the fact you can do it anytime, any place. You can freelance as a social media kind of content creator for like, you know, posts. If you're a carer, um, you can do that around your caring duties from home. So I think for me, it's about using the magic of digital and technology to open up economic opportunities for all. Silly question first. Why Brixton? How come? Initially, it was going to be called Hoxton Finishing School. Mm. But Mark Lewis of the SCA gave me the school for free and uh, over the summer rent free oh, uh, wow. to use as a space. I held out for a week because I didn't want it to call it Brixton. And then somebody pointed out it was only three letters difference. And then I looked at the rents for what a school would cost to rent. <laughs> and that quickly solved my uh, ego, solved really. Yeah. <laughs> Good answer. OK. <laughs> and then I want to get around this. You're well known in the industry. I'm sure we have people in common ourselves. Yeah. 
How was cajoling big name organisations similar to the supporters and sponsors you yeah. mentioned to get them on board? Was that a magical process? Was it a was it? Did you have to lie to some to say that others were involved? How tell, yeah. bring to life that number process. one? Never lie okay. because it's a tiny village we operate in. Absolutely. What you can do is say you have an ambition to do something, yeah. which may be portrayed as more, you know, together than it actually is. Yeah. As long as you sort it out and do it, that's fine. Okay. I always think that. No, um, some people sign straight away. Um, it's actually the more I would say there's a, there's kind of a lot of companies out there who are leading a change. They flock to it like a lighthouse, and we very much call it like a beacon. So we tend to um, get a lot of incoming. Obviously, other organisations I've gone out to, but really it's a litmus test. If you're an organisation that doesn't give a flying about diversity, which you really should be doing, 50% of London's diverse, um, and there's so many intersections, you're not interested in 50% of your clients' target market then, are you? Then you'll probably stay as far away from us as possible. Yeah. Those that are into it are into it. There's obviously different challenges about how the money happens. You know, the apprenticeship levy can't be used with us because that has to be used in such a narrow way. But that's probably a conversation another time. What I view of the apprenticeship levy, because it's just not fit for purpose. You should be funding projects that produce employment outcomes like ours. You shouldn't have, you know, if you're a company and you're paying a tax to you know, help solve training challenges, but you're being told you can't spend it on organisations that are actually successfully doing that. I think that's a, yeah, a let's, challenge. Let's then talk about how other people can get involved. Oh, yes, please. So the, the listeners to this podcast are those from the marketing media world, anybody yeah. that has an effect on youth culture, there'll be people at brands listening, there'll be other agencies listening... Who do you want? Do you want everybody? Do you want people of a certain scale? What are the different ways that people can get involved? The num- I mean, there's lots of different ways people can get involved. I'm not worried about scale. I'm worried about where they are as a destination. I'm not going to invest people all our time and effort in making a young person successful only to put them in an environment that doesn't let them thrive. So I think if you're an organisation that knows it needs to sort its diversity out but probably hasn't started sorting its culture out first... It would be literally emotional abuse for me to take a young person, you know, give them the self-belief and kind of, you know, joy they have at Brixton, then serve them up somewhere where literally they're going to be othered every day. That would be awful. So that's question number one is, are you ready for this? If you are, that's amazing because we can also help you get ready for it. We've got partners like Creative Equals that deal with cultural challenges. So you can work with them. And then when you are ready, you can take a young person. Number one, sponsor us. Definitely sponsor us because we are not, we're a community interest company. We're entirely industry funded. We do this on a shoestring. I basically set this up on my own credit card and a little remortgage. And we definitely need to future proof this because it's a wonderful thing. If you sponsor us, the benefit is you get access to the school and you get access to first pick of talent. Bear in mind, these talents are really bloody good. Mm. That's great. Um, you can mentor, you can hold experience in masterclasses. If you are a youth brand or a youth publication, then help us with outreach. We're very lucky. We've got some wonderful outreach par- uh, partners, but, you know, you can't have enough. You know, scale is important. So if you already had a relationship with 18 to 25s and you want to support them with giving them opportunities, then this is a good way of doing it. And then even if you're just somebody who's great at stuff that maybe we don't have, like, you know, te- you know admin, whatever, 
we can do with your help, even if it's a couple of hours here and there. Okay. Are you ready to go deep, Ali? Oh, I'd, yeah, go on then. Okay. I think the very existence of a business, an organisation such as the Brixton Finishing mm. School, is indicative of the fact that the education system is failing. Would you broadly agree? Do you have you strong views on what's happening with what happens at schools, what happens at universities, what happens yeah. at colleges? Have you have you big thoughts on on what we should be doing for young people in education? Well, I think there's two ways to explore this. Number one is actually a lot of our young people over succeed in the education system, but still don't get jobs, mm. um, and that's not to do with the education system. That's due to prejudice and the, instit- the, the systemic racism and class system. So really number good one. Point. Really good point. So you could get a, a like, couple of my grads, we found, you know, obviously we don't know, qualif- well, I did look at the qualifications, had firsts and straight A's, still can't get a job. They have succeeded, they've nailed it in our system. That we, They've nailed it within the bandwidth we said, go on, prove yourself in, did it, still not going to succeed because unfortunately the wider were systemic issues. So that would and I know I've interrupted you and yeah. I'm anxious of that. So that would, prejudice would explain some of that, but also not being perhaps vocational or applied enough might so, Because if you get a first in geology, yeah. why, I'm going to be, why are global radio going to take on this grad when there's somebody that's been playing in a radio studio for their entire okay. degree? Well, mm. my best example of this is if you've watched Amal Ranjan's uh, How to Break into the Elite. I have. So, yeah, so that's that's like, you know, you go to a Russell Group University, you and your mate, you get a first, he gets a bloody 2-2, which, though a degree, is not very shiny. He gets the job in the city, you don't. Why? It's nothing to do with how he's performed in education. It's due with the fact that his name's Tarquin something mm. and your name is not a British name or you don't have a network. If schools align themselves with... In- so that you've got these schools that are elite schools that already have amazing industry access and connections. The reason we do so well is we deliver those industry access and connections to people that don't have them. So they have the ex- same experience that a privileged person would. I think schools and education needs to be more industry focused. So you actually, rather than just making people great, winning in education, you explain to them, you give them the chance to actually cross over into work. And the reason we're called a finishing school is because finishing schools used to be a bridge between academia and employment. Mm. So, and we're a bridge between one world and another. Mm. So I do think schools don't teach enough of the skills that we're going to need when we AI takes over. You know, we're going to need critical and creative thinking. Um, I was met with Nestor this morning and he was talking about how the guy the guy I met with was talking about how much research they're doing on the jobs that will not exist and the jobs they need and then comparing that to what people are learning. Um, but I think before we probably look at the system we've got, we've got to unpick some of the problems at employer level around who what they view talent as. Because if they view talent as a first from a good university even somebody getting that who's not the right colour or the right background is still not getting through. So you can't change everything, but we do need to definitely think about our own prejudices. So the final section of this interview with Ali Owen from the Brixton Finishing School is to find out Ali's rocket fuel, some practical, actionable insights for our audience... Mm of people looking to engage and talk to youth and young audiences in a more effective way. 
So, Ali, let's start with a big question. What do you know about young audiences? I know about young audiences, what young audiences have told me, because I bother to speak to them. <laughs> and I think there tends to be some assumptions about um, putting all young people in certain boxes, like the, the uh, urban box or the kind of sporty box. They're really individuals. Um, and I think the key thing that brands and also we have to be really careful of is not trying to generalise them. Also, you really don't know what you don't know and because young people invent their own cultures the whole time. In fact, everything that we have as cultural norms now comes from kind of street culture, which is basically young people culture. Yeah, We're never going to be aware of what they're up to because we're like the tail of the dog and they're the front of it. We're in an age of brand purpose where every yeah. brand is trying to align its own beliefs with those of their target audience. Yeah. What do you think is important to young people? Well, purpose is important, but authenticity of purpose is. Uh, I think there's a lot of purpose washing going on. Do you? Yeah, oh, God, yeah. I mean, God, you know, like it's with pride. Yeah, the amount of stuff that gets a rainbow flag stuck on it. Mm. And then when you actually dive into that brand's actual behaviours around that audience at work, in its supply chain, actually in its actual context, it's very different. I think young people do research on brands. I think if you're a brand and you're going to align yourself with something, you better make sure you're actually living your values rather than just saying you are. Because, you know, they've got, you know, they're not in any way unintelligent they will find out and then they'll be very cross with you what do you think's changed about the way young audiences behave and what do you think's going to change next i think the behaviors are pretty similar but the platforms are different i mean i've got a teenage daughter who's 14 um who luckily wasn't the nightmare i i was (laughs) um but she's all the behaviors are the same they're just executed over different platforms like i used to have these endless phone calls with my mates in the evening or go sit in a park and chat for hours she does all that on kind of some kind of video type thing with six friends yeah um i think you know we were just as obsessed with how we looked we just didn't take photos but you know we spent a lot of time hair brushing off like hairspraying our fringes and stuff <laughs> so yeah i would say behaviors are the same i think things are a lot more pressured now you know the expectations on young people because opportunities are much less you know education has become something about money rather than into like it's not a meritocracy anymore you know if you're going to leave uni with a 50 grand debt my god if you leave that's just unreal so i think they're much more serious. I think they're a lot more stressed. Um, I just think maybe the world isn't as kind of place. There have been two recurring themes in this series of interviews that we've mm. done. I think one has been around listening to young people, yeah. which you've highlighted. The other has been around mental health, yeah. actually. And it's it's a huge thing that gets talked about in almost every avenue in every in every walk yeah. of life. but. And and I complete. I actually agree with you on your fourteen-year-old daughter. I don't think that the behaviours are wildly different, but I think the platforms are. Yeah. But you also mentioned. I think you said stressed. You might have said pressured. I do think younger people are. I they've certainly identified it, but I think they're suffering with mental health more. Would you agree with that? Do you see I, that with your candidates? Do you, do you see? know what? We don't have any historical data because certainly when I grew up as a teenager, that was not something that existed. Mm. And I think we probably, if we were going to be really sciencey about this, you'd have to look at the mental health of that age group over the last 50 years to see whether it had increased or decreased. The fact is mental health 
depression it wasn't even recognised or talked about. I mean, obviously now it's shadowed. You know, young people are more likely to vocalise it. So that which is obviously a very positive thing. Um, but I'm kind of thinking, yeah, I mean, self-harming, not eating, all these things were very common when I grew up. Yeah. But we didn't class that as mental health. That was just trying to get through being a teenager. Yeah, sure. So I think, yeah, I'm quite a sciencey geek. I would love to be able to say, yes, it is, yes, it's not. But I can only comment on, I'm really glad people talk about it now. But I recognise that some of those behaviours existed back when I did there. But I can't compare apples and pears. In talking to young people, which brands, organisations, people get it right and who gets mm. it wrong? Well, everybody loves a Nando's, don't they? Right. Yeah, we do love a Nando's. Um, and is Nando's edgy? Is it just because it's like a comfort just gets it. No, it? it just gets it. It's like the whole black card thing, stuff like that for celebrities. It's just, you know, a good... It, it's not crap. Yeah. I think, um, you know, there's brands like... Oh, you know, Pepsi, which did that, that oh, poor old Kendall Jenner. And I don't feel sorry for her, she's a millionaire. Um, Kendall Jenner in that um, Black Lives Clearly Don't Matter yeah. pastiche they did. That's a brand that completely took what they thought was a kind of, blanc, you know, a blancmange of kind of youth culture, put it through some kind of mincer and let it out in possibly one of the most, you know, pathetic adverts I've ever seen, which was them. You know, the Kendall Jenner one where she solves a riot with a can of Pepsi. Which it was, was just, awful. Well, it was just it? appropriation of somebody else's cause and pain. And you mentioned the term earlier, groupthink, and that was groupthink plus, wasn't it? I mean, that I think was... that, yeah. But also, even if you had diverse people in the room, they didn't feel, or not even diverse people. Why does somebody from a different group always have to stand up and be the game, the gamekeeper? You know, why can't it be just some normal white bloke go, uh, maybe we should talk about this a bit more. <laughs> Why is it always the responsibility of the minority to, to like, say, no, that's not right? Yeah. Why, you know, I just find, you know, I, I think people should wake up a little bit. To, if you've got a brand and you're not doing your job properly, which is checking with your target markets and all your consumers that something's acceptable, then you're really not doing your job properly. It's not the responsibility of the one person who somehow managed to make it in the room despite all the odds stacked against them to call you out because that's putting them in a position of potential exposure. Ali, let's abuse your position of someone that's at the centre of the media and ad industry. Yeah. How does it need to change? It needs to stop being so uninclusive. I think for me, one of the big things I'd change is the referral process. Don't give your mates referral bonuses because if you basically have a company that's small or medium or large and it's got a certain type of person in it, if you basically give money to those people to find new employees, I call it the ever-diminishing diversity returns, you're only going to recommend people you know. The 10 people you know, it's been shown, are most like you. So you end up with a less, less, you know, diverse workforce than with. We work with um, the publisher HarperCollins on yeah. occasion and they no longer get to see the names or indeed oh, the background. Blind CV, with, yeah, and blind CVs yeah. is something you'd wholeheartedly yeah. approve of. Yeah, I mean, completely. Well, we've sat down today and even though you've talked about my background, I haven't shown you my CV and I haven't asked you if you have a Duke of Edinburgh Award or a 100 metre swimming badge because I've taken you on the person you are, like a competency. I think really a lot of the... See, are they really fit for purpose? If you... When you're starting out, having an assessment evening where you actually meet people, at the end of the day, when you do a deal or a pitch, you don't ask the CV of that person. You see how you interact with them. Hmm. That's completely different, you know. And I think there's stuff we do that may have been useful a long time ago. 
that isn't useful in an industry that's vocational and creative and actually requires different types of thinking. Um, Ali, you may have answered it already. Um, what's the one takeaway that you'd give us for everybody listening? Uh, support Brixton Finishing School, obviously. Okay. Please sponsor us. Um, I think it would just be be aware. I think being having an being aware of how lucky you are if you're from a majority group to have the privileges you have um, is quite conscious. And once you start thinking about, well, that's interesting. Why does my office all look like me? Um, maybe start questioning why that is um, and start thinking that maybe there would be a better way of doing things. Ali Owen, where can people find out more about you and yeah. where can people find out more about the Brixton Finishing um, School? Well, we're on Instagram and Twitter at, at Brixton Finishing School and at Brixton F School. We're also on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Uh, my Twitter's at Ali underscore N1. Brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Ali, thank you so much mm. for doing this edition of Rocket Fuel. It's been great to get to know you. Thank cool. you. Thanks very much. I hope you agree that was a great chat, a fascinating conversation, a really awesome guest. If you enjoyed it, let us know. You can get in touch with us across all socials at We Are Rocket or with me directly at James Erskine on Twitter. For more, tune in next week. We're still in our first season. We're still kind of evolving what we're going to try and do. We know that we want to learn from people in the youth culture, youth marketing space to establish what their rocket fuel is. Give us a five-star review, share the podcast, and tune in again next week. Thanks for listening. This is a Rocket Audio production.